Welcome to Chunks Chats. I'm Tiffany, and I started a hair clip business called Chunks out of my basement in Seattle in 2019, and I went from a one-woman show to now a team of 15. This is where I chat about growing our small business, responsible manufacturing, and all the nuances in between. Today, we have a guest. Hi, Yoe. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? I, I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. I feel like we should mention that we are both wearing pink. Oh my gosh. In the studio. Yeah, like collared pink tops. I know. And this was not, you know, we didn't have a text thread ahead of time or anything. This is just us vibing. Yeah. And Shannon, our product designer, she also came in wearing like full, like collared pink too. <laughs> so we all got the memo. I don't know from where. But Yoe Shaw, hi. Where, where do people probably best know you from? Up until... Two weeks ago, I was the host and editorial lead of Invisibilia, which is an NPR documentary podcast. It's been around for a minute. Before I became a co-host and the editorial lead, I was a producer and then became a senior producer on the show. So I've basically spent my almost my entire adult podcasting life at Invisibilia. I like to say I grew, I grew up with the show. So if you've heard of the yeah. show, you've probably like heard my voice, heard some of my stories, or at least like heard my name in the credits. For sure. You're pretty, you're famous with a, you know, a very a niche, a very, <laughs> I mean, me as well. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love NPR podcasts and I've listened to Invisibilia. I was totally into that whole family of like NPR podcasts and just storytelling podcasts. Mm. I've listened to every single This American Life since it started. I've listened to every single one. That's that's interesting. I feel like that is a gateway drug for a lot of mm-hmm. podcasters. It's interesting yes. because you have your own podcast now in addition to, obviously, a hair clip company. I wonder if binging the entire catalog of This American Life had something to do with it. Because that's how I got into podcasting was I was very lonely and depressed one semester in college, had no friends in DC interning for the semester and I just like listened to the entire catalog while I was very lonely and then I was like oh this does something for me like this awakens something inside me totally yeah that was like my whole 20s was just like listening to storytelling podcasts like that and even going back further like listening to StoryCorps in the car with my mom. Like, oh, yes. yeah, I've always been really moved by these really human stories. Mm. Have you ever done StoryCorps with your mom? I because have Because they, ha- they have that option. Oh, that's right. They do. No, no, I never even thought about that. Oh, my gosh. You should have your mom on this podcast. Tiffany, <laughs> listen, the best I have done now, like, a few family stories and just – Family tape is always the best tape because yeah. like you're the relationship you have with I don't know I just feel like whenever you can get your friends and family on tape it's generally it's generally gold. It'd be gold in such an uncomfortable way with my family. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's gold. Whatever happens yeah. if it's uncomfortable, Oof. if it's cute, if it's a mess. I mean, of course there yeah. are stakes involved. So For proceed sure. with caution. <laughs> yeah. I'm an open book. I'll do it. (laughs) Anyway, well, just to touch on why we're here. So Chunks and NPR, we did a collab 
we did a hair clip collab, which seems like a very random collaboration. <laughs> but honestly, when NPR, when we started talking to you, I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like so excited because obviously huge, huge NPR stan. And I was like, I don't know what this has to do with each other, but I'm going to make it work. Hair um, clips yeah. and podcasting, obviously. I should just say that when I heard about this collab between Chunks and NPR, I was like, fangirling as well because I had purchased quite a few chunks hair clips ahead of you know any of this because like I need hair clips to look socially presentable in my everyday life because <laughs> otherwise it's just like a hot mess over here I don't know how to do my hair and you know it adds some flair and color and yo way I think we are twins like I think <laughs> not only <laughs> physically right now but that is literally why I started chunks is because mm. I'm like the laziest person ever with hair really I I only get my hair cut like once every two years when I remember and I have this kind of naturally wavy textured but kind of fine hair that I don't same. know what to do with it same I have yeah. that hair lots of fine wavy textured hair that looks a hot mess when it's yes down. and there's like no good <laughs> way to just make it look okay <laughs> so I just have to disguise it or put it up so I was looking for cute hair clips that were not like you know those ugly drugstore hair clips mm -hmm. um we all and that's, know about that's those. literally why I started chunks because mm. I was like I don't know what to do with this so <laughs> well can I just say thank you for your service <laughs> Thank you and your entire team for your service because it has made, it has really upgraded my game, like my wardrobe game Good. in general. So yes, there was a little bit of fangirling on my end when I heard about this. And also um, it was the talk of the town on my Asian girl gang group chat. It got oh, me yeah? some points. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have Asian girl groups too. Oh, you have multiple. Yeah, well, I have two. I have one that's more like business mm. friends, like business owner, Asian female friends that are remote. Mm. They're like mostly in New York. And, and then I have another one that's like local. Oh, that's cool. I was, you know, thinking about maybe pitching a story for this month around AGGs, like Asian girl gangs. And just like profiling, just sort of like doing an homage to the AGG and then oh, like profiling yeah. different AGGs or like a mix oh of God. like famous ones and like not famous ones. And I don't know, because yeah. it's always so interesting, like how the gang or a crew got together. Mm -hmm. It's like such a random confluence of events and it always feels magical. Yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Another time. Another okay. time. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. So the NPR hair clips that you designed, can you tell me about the like aesthetic inspiration or thinking behind them? I'm just curious. Like yeah. what was like in your head? Were you like listening to particular kinds of stories or were you trying to like evoke a particular feeling? Yeah, well... I think we were first talking with Wanyu, Moy, and Jesse. Do you know Jesse Brown? I think he did some of the work. It was just like work that was up behind the wall. And coincidentally, I'm like a huge fan of Jesse's work. Like he's from Seattle. Mm -hmm. His work is like all over the city. And I, I've always personally just really loved it. It's like this very graphic 
colorful. Like he does a lot of checker too, but it's just lots of like icons and um, 2D, like just 2D amazingness. But yeah, they had that art up on the wall. And like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Ooh, I love, I love the graphics up there. And it was all like NPR colors, Mm. but just like these beautiful shapes. And so we were talking more about, you know, what we kind of wanted to bring to this, what elements we want to pull from both. So I already had kind of a color palette that we could work with NPR colors, which are cute. And also the analogous colors from NPR, like, you know, red, but then you also have pink and like blue, but you also have light blue and then the tones of um, neutrals and black and white and stuff. Hmm. So there's a lot to pick out of out of just that color scheme. And then we did a little bit of shape study, which they already had some graphics that really helped. Moy did a really beautiful job of putting this like deck together also. And that just Mm. really helped my design process. And then we were looking at like airwave kind of shapes. Yeah, there's like a kind of sound wave Mm -hmm. um, quality to the shapes. So there was like a color exploration, a shape exploration. And then I was also mindful, like on the claw, there's only a design on one side because I was also mindful of like, I do want this to be something that like a lot of people can can wear. So I wanted it to be in that space of like, it's really fun and colorful, but it's also like not over the top, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. I'm such a not visual person. So I'm always interested whenever I talk to like, visual artists and designers about how you think and Mm. move through the world because I don't see it the same way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, It's it's really fun working with my junior product designer because we like see the same things. Like mm. we'll see a, a, you know, a whole board of swatches and we know like which ones look good together or why this one needs a little more texture or why this one needs to be a little more transparent. And it's super fun because we speak the same language. It is such a particular pleasure when you speak the same creative language with people that you vibe with and work with. Yes. I feel that way completely about the team at Invisibilia. So you are no longer at Invisibilia. Invisibilia ended sadly. I'm sorry to hear that. I know. Thank you for your condolences. How was that? It sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It, you know, I had worked there for seven years and, um, you know, getting laid off. I don't know if you've been laid off. It's not fun. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it that I'm still working through. But I feel like the hardest part, besides obviously like the financial insecurity piece, Mm -hmm. is just like how easy it is to blame yourself. Even though intellectually and politically, I know that these decisions are often very arbitrary and often like not actually that strategic and have nothing or little to nothing to do with like my individual performance. The message, the emotional message that this whole experience is giving me is like, oh, there's something you could have done differently. It's just so easy to blame yourself and like replay moments and think like, whoa, what else, what could I have done differently? And I mean, that's just like how 
capitalism unfortunately works, which is yeah. to like place the blame and risk on the individual rather than the system. And so, yeah, I got caught up in the NPR layoffs. There's been a lot of layoffs in media all around tech, etc. It's a bad time. NPR had to lay off, you know, 10% or so of the workforce. And that happened a few weeks ago. And I'm, I feel really, really badly for everybody involved, especially my colleagues who got laid off and and also for the people left behind because this kind of thing really affects everybody. There's like something called survivor's remorse for Mm -hmm. survivor's guilt for that like there's been like studies and research about how layoffs affect the people left behind as well. For sure. So that was um Not great, but I have been trying to find the opportunity and the fun where I can. Like, uh, so I was, um, I served as a shop steward at NPR this past year and a half um, for our Yeah, what does that mean? Oh, okay. So a bunch of NPR employee, there's like different unions at NPR that represent different workers. And um, one big group of workers is represented by NPR SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. And being a shop steward is essentially you run for an elected position to be a leader I and see. to basically, you know, try to represent and fight for your coworkers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I ran a year and a half ago and was elected. And honestly, just like the union and the union slack was such a bomb <laughs> during this whole situation. There were so many good jokes <laughs> on union slack during this whole period. So many funny memes, so many good <laughs> incisive cultural commentary and live tweeting of all staff meetings. Just like it was union slack was popping, y'all. Like it was great. <laughs> like slack, like yeah, yeah yeah we have like our own separate yeah. um communication system and then one conversation that i thought was pretty interesting was when the layoff notifications happened there was this discussion on union slack about should you cry or not cry in your layoff meeting and should you try to like try to traumatize the people laying you off or <laughs> as much as possible or should you not show them your tears not yeah let them be dignified because they don't yeah they don't deserve your tears uh-huh. um, and of course like any decision is fine no judgment it was just yeah. like an interesting conversation that was like half <laughs> jokey on slack and i was like okay so what am i gonna do in my meeting and i decided mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna try not to cry because i just don't really know the hr pr- like i just don't want to cry I just decided for myself yeah so as a deterrent to try not to cry I played this game with myself where during the meeting where I was getting laid off where they tell you to your face that you're laid off Mm -hmm. I was like I'm gonna keep a tally of how many times I cry and then I will be forced to take that many shots later (laughs) as a deterrent so that I to make myself not cry okay so I'm guessing you're not a drinker Definitely not a shots drinker. <laughs> that is not the definition of a fun time for me. Okay, um, that's not did, a definition it, of a fun time. Um, it did not work, unfortunately. <laughs> and I um, I cried a total of seven times oh. <laughs> during my layoff meeting. <laughs> like you stopped least, and then you started again seven oh, times. Oh, yeah, because I was like trying to stop. 
And then it would seep out of my eyes again. <laughs> and yeah, you know, fun I times. Mean, it was were at least tr- a fun game to play. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Like you were entrenched in the NPR world. You know, you climbed, you started as a producer, and then you became mm-hmm. like a host and you were part of the union. You were in it. I was definitely in it. Yeah, and it's sad. And you should let yourself be sad about those things. Yeah, and yes, there has been lots of sadness, so don't worry. (laughs) I've let myself (laughs) cry a lot. There's no repression happening here. (laughs) But I will say that the one thing that we did that I'm really grateful that we did, because I got laid off, I had a choice to not work, basically, for the last month. Mm -hmm. But we decided to work and make a final episode for our fans and listeners Mm. and for ourselves where we basically said our goodbyes by doing stories about goodbyes (laughs) because that's how uh, I at least like to process my feelings is to do stories about the the subject of the feelings. So we made a whole... I want to listen to that one. I didn't get around to it, but tell me about the stories. Oh yeah, it's if I may say, it's a really, really good one. I really okay. recommend it for listeners out there. Yeah, It's called The Goodbye Show, and it's a series of meditations on these tricky moments of departure. Mm. Our producer, Andrew Mambo, did this very funny segment about awkward goodbyes and like what makes <laughs> an awkward goodbye awkward. And uh, we did this call out to our listeners to send us a bunch of stories about goodbyes and one bucket of submissions were about awkward goodbyes and so he like shared his favorite stories with me and then our producer Ariana Garrett Lee told this listener story about what do you do with the stuff that people leave behind after goodbye Mm -hmm. and then our lead reporter and producer Abby Wendell did this uh, story about the Midwestern goodbye and whether it's the right kind of goodbye for this moment. Are you familiar with the Midwestern what is goodbye? The Midwestern goodbye? Okay, I wasn't really familiar with this before Abby did the story. Essentially, it's a form of goodbye that's very popular in the Midwest that's very drawn out. So it can last anywhere from 30 minutes to like a few hours. <laughs> We're like on your way out the door, there will be you know, more talking in the hallway, there will be more talking in the bundling bundling up of coats, and then you follow the people out the door to the driveway, and then you keep walking with them all the way to the, like, it just keeps going and going, and then you make plans for the next uh, (laughs) goodbye. It's very sweet, and also has a lot of clinger on energy. (laughs) Yes, yes, that feels very Midwestern. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Just like the super nice, accommodating goodbye. You know what I think is actually the most awkward goodbye? Oh, yeah? The Asian goodbye. (laughs) Pray tell. I'm not familiar with the Asian goodbye, and I'm Asian. It's not a thing. (laughs) What is the Asian goodbye? It's not not a thing. But you know, I mean, generally, I feel like Asian families are not good with sentimentality. Oh, the Asian goodbye is like an – it's like a pat (laughs) – it's like an awkward yeah. It's an pat awkward on the pat shoulder or side hug. Right, right, right. It's and it's like okay, no eye contact. It's just like okay, yes. <laughs> you know see what you. Bye. Mm-hmm. A grunt and then mm-hmm. back in the car. <laughs> yeah. 
that is the Asian I mean. goodbye. Yeah, you right? should. We should make that a thing. It's absolutely. I I I recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Asian goodbyes, I did the story that I did for this goodbye show was another. I wouldn't say it's like really an Asian goodbye. It's more of like an immigrant goodbye story. So mm. I called up my mom for advice about goodbyes because. She has had a ton of practice over the years saying goodbye to her mom, my white po, who lived in Taiwan. And then my mom left her to come to the U.S. in the 70s. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they've basically been in this state of constant goodbye for like over four decades. And, you know, every time they visit, somebody visits the other person they've had to say goodbye over and over and over and over and over again and so I'd never talked to my mom about that experience like what that initial goodbye was like and all the subsequent Mm. ones and so yeah I did a story about that and got to talk to my mom and learned a lot and it was lots of feelings and tears um yeah she basically I called up my mom for advice But in the end, she didn't really have any for me. She was just sort of like, it always hurt. And she never figured out how to do it right. And she felt Mm -hmm. like she actually blew all her goodbyes with my waipua. Especially like the final goodbye. You know, my grandma died over the pandemic. And before she died... You know, she went to the hospital, wasn't feeling well, and my mom tried to get on the, a flight to get there as soon as she could, and mm-hmm. she still had to quarantine when she got to Taiwan, and she was just a few days before making it to the hospital, and so she missed oh, no. being there by her side when yeah. my grandma passed. And so, anyways, my mom was feeling very, very, very bad about, you know, this whole situation and very guilty, and then... I remembered this moment that I'd never told my mom. So there's this cassette of my mom singing songs to my dad when they were long distance years ago. And she made an extra tape for my grandma. And a few years ago when I was in Taiwan visiting, my grandma showed me the tape. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that she was, her lips were moving to all the words. Like she'd been listening to the tapes over and over and over again. Yeah. And I'd never told my mom about that. And um, I told my mom and it just made me think of like, I feel like we put so much pressure on the actual literal parting of ways. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just one point in the long arc of goodbyes. Totally. You know, and there's totally. all these like goodbyes that the other person is doing on their end that you never get to see and that count just as much. Anyways, the episode is a bit of a tearjerker. So beware, buyer beware. (laughs) I know. I'm like holding back right now. I've got to take a minute. (laughs) Mm. I mean, what are goodbyes? I think we, you know, they signify this like, this moment of finality to something, but that doesn't really exist when you're your family or when you continue to love somebody. Yeah. But I should ask my mom. I've, cause she immigrated at the same kind of time, mm. I guess, like when she was 14 in the, actually it's probably in the sixties, late sixties, maybe early seventies. Yeah. 
And I've never asked her about that. At 14? Oh, like, my God. Like, your mom? Jeez. That's... Yeah. Yeah, I would ask her. Oh, my gosh. This is, like, my <laughs> PSA to anybody who has family that they want to remember memories of is just like Mm. record 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 and ask questions you just never know and like that audio is so precious yeah I never thought about that okay I'll do it (laughs) well thank you for your service Invisibilia had a great run and I loved the podcast I actually re-listened to the rom-com episode (gasps) did you actually you know what no I listened to it and I was like I was like I can't remember if I've listened to this or not because I distinctly remember having that same conversation like in 2019 Mm. with somebody because I do think maybe it was in the collective air because I remember coming to the realization of that. So the topic of that episode was, well, how do you describe it? Uh, spicy, <laughs> um, very spicy. It's basically an episode I did. I reported a while ago about racial sexual preferences and whether you can mm-hmm. change them. And I yeah. focused on the story of this young Asian American woman who was essentially trying to rewire her preferences for white guys and not yeah. and stop dating yeah. them because. She had mainly dated white guys. Yeah, I I remember coming to that like in my own, you know, story. And I distinctly remember like pretty much cornering this, my other like Asian friend at this party and being like, we've been conditioned to like white guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> like having uh, this real <laughs> yeah. moment with myself and mm. seeing all of it kind of in this different lens and mm-hmm. being like, what the, yeah. what the hell? But Yeah, for anybody who's interested in understanding attraction and just like the ethics of Mm. preferences and dating and attraction, I really, I don't normally recommend my own work, but like I am really proud of this episode and I did a shit ton of reporting for it. And I went into like all kinds of worlds. Obviously, there's the narrative story of this woman grappling with this very you know difficult question in her own life but I also went deep into sex research to bring Mm. back the goods about what we know about how preferences get made and whether you can change them I looked at a lot of studies that involved rats having sex (laughs) for the benefit of that was interesting Yeah, there's a lot of interesting takeaways. I'll just leave it there. You should listen. A very offensive rom-com. Yes, it was very entertaining. (laughs) How long does it take you to put a story together? Well, it depends on the scope and ambition of a story and episode. Mm -hmm. For that episode, a very offensive rom-com, because it was like so complicated on multiple levels, it took probably four to five months, maybe, of like you know, conceptualizing, reporting, writing, researching, tracking, so much editing, more editing, (laughs) um, production, sound design, all that stuff. And then there's like other episodes that we do that are much lighter lift. Like I did, I'm really proud of this episode too. We did an episode about the status of friend therapy And we Mm. paired up with the great psychotherapist, Esther Perel, 
to Love do her. an episode together where she did a session with these two dudes friends who are childhood mm. friends and they drifted apart and so she does like a friend therapy session with them and mm. they basically report on the drama of the session and that took like very little time on our end at least right how is working on invisibilia kind of affected the lens that you see through now i like to joke that i have been red pilled by invisibilia mm. because it's just fundamentally shaped the way that I think about everything now in my personal life as well as you know professional stuff too like whatever is going on I'm always like okay let's let's dig deeper <laughs> what is what is what's what at the, the heart of this story <laughs> what's at the heart of this thing and what are some of the like cultural forces and narratives and ideas and underlying dynamics that are driving these people to behave the way that they are totally yeah you know I just it's probably very annoying <laughs> to the people in my life but yeah I mean that's why I'm so passionate about that lens I think it's important for everyone to be thinking about the water that they're swimming in you know mm -hmm. because there might be context that can help you understand the issues you're dealing with and and make you see that it's not that you're not alone yeah. Or that you're not bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not you. There are all these systems and forces and history and a lot that has shaped the moment that you're in right now. Totally. Yeah. I very much see the world out of a similar lens and, and just constantly thinking about the forces that have, you know, culminated in this experience or this moment or this lens that I'm seeing this thing out of but it definitely affects me even in my own consideration of of like what I do and my design mm. practice because you know even mm -hmm. in des design school I very much was considering even when we're concepting collections and stuff like the way that I kind of approach how I look at trends I mean trends are a reflection of culture oh my gosh you know and absolutely that's, and I'm obsessed with thinking about trends and culture and why it is the way it is and its cyclical kind of pendulum swinging nature. And it's all just the things that are happening in the collective, in the air, with people, how they're feeling, politics, mm -hmm. like all of it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's trickling down to the way that we all express ourselves. And that includes art and fashion and all of that. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, that, that's why I've always gravitated towards stories and podcasts. And that is something I care about deeply with Chunks, too, is is the manufacturing part. You know, like I, I want to talk about those stereotypes because I see that as part of the, the story about, mm. like, why do we have stereotypes? And mm. when do they cross the line of being, you know, stereotypes come from a place. And I think it's human nature to kind of stereotype but then when does it cross that line into being something harmful mm. and let's look at that stereotype of like why we think made in china is is negative and let's talk about that because nothing is black and white right it's yeah. like you have to take into context the entire history yes and and also just like all the gray area and all the diversity within within that stereotype and and then our own psychologies you know yeah it's so complex and I and I don't talk about it to the depth that I even want to because it, there's just so many 
there's just so much nuance to it and it's hard for even me to like process and fully understand the depth of that nuance can i ask a dumb question Mm -hmm. can you give me the like very short summary of like why made in china and the negative stereotype is wrong because like Mm -hmm. i actually don't know because i'm not in this world and now i'm very intrigued well, I know you've like probably done so many podcasts about this. You've had so many conversations and you were just saying that it's so complicated and you could get into the No, I'm just story. thinking like how short can I make this? <laughs> I mean, China is a manufacturing hub for the world, right? Yeah. So there's all sorts of manufacturing practices that exist. Anywhere there's manufacturing. So there is unethical manufacturing in China. And there's also ethical manufacturing in China. It's just a range. And I think we have really gotten stuck in the assumptions from back in the day, which they, those, those, you know, crazy salacious stories there, they were true. Like some shit went down in the eighties and nineties, you know, that was not cool. It was the wild, wild west. It's gotten a lot better, but it's hard to change assumptions They're very sticky. And when we aren't always updated on, you know, like manufacturing, it's not everyday information that people are absorbing. So we just continue to like hold on to the the negative stereotypes that we have. But yeah, I mean, Apple, like like our phones are all made in China. A lot of luxury brands are now made in China. Chanel, I think Prada. Hmm. So there's just like a huge range I also think it's it, at a certain point, it's not even a matter of like where something is made, right? Because they're just supplying a demand that already exists. And it's, it's a responsibility of the company that's hiring the factory to mm-hmm. make this product, you know, because they're the ones that are saying, you know, I want this phone, but I need it like half the price. Mm. And the supplier is just going to supply what is being demanded. Mm. That was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And it is complicated and there are a lot of facets to it, you know. So where do you see yourself going now post NPR? And how are you today? What are you doing? What are you working on? And what's in store for the future? Well, I promised myself that I would take some time off after leaving NPR. I had it blocked out in my calendar. Yoway's glorious week off. Um, but it hasn't worked out like that. I've been doing a bunch of stuff. So the plan is still to take some time when I can. I'm already working on my next story, which I can't divulge yet what it's about, but it might or might not be about something we've talked about today. (laughs) And it's going to be juicy. I'm excited. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, after I take some time, Maybe I'll make a new show. Maybe I'll try to get another podcast job with health insurance and try to have a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But yeah, if you want to follow what I do next when I figure it out, uh, I just started a newsletter that is tentatively called The Yoe Shaw Show. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. You can just search my, you know, name. And the thing I definitely know I will be doing this summer is I will be in a river in an inflatable tube preferably more than 10 times 
during the that first summer of the pandemic when like you know you could only be outside and there's nowhere to go um I went tubing 16 times oh my goodness <laughs> and got very obsessed so I'm <laughs> excited to do that this summer yeah that sounds delightful and refreshing <laughs> yes okay final question okay I will be in New York for like two weeks in August can we hang out Oh my gosh, yes. I would <laughs> and love, I, I'm I, in Philly, but I will come to New York. Oh yeah, visit. that's right. You're in Philly. Damn. I, I have, it's close enough and I go there a lot. Um, we should definitely hang. I would love to. And maybe we'll show up to the bar wearing the same color without even meaning to again. <laughs> we'll just be vibing. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Yahweh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. This was a lovely chat. Thanks everyone for joining our episode today with Yohei Shaw, formerly of NPR, but I'm sure we will hear from her very soon. If you like this episode, please rate and review and subscribe to the show. Did you know you can rate rate and review every episode? It really helps me out. <laughs> you can find us on IG and TikTok at Chunks.shop and send us a DM if you have any topics you'd like us to talk about. Thanks. Bye. Bye.